Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. The Grove and to the top. This, this is Sports Talk Mississippi. On your radio and in the game. Right here on Super Talk Mississippi. What a gorgeous day. Sunshine, blue skies, a little cool, but at least it's not raining, so I'm not going to complain about a little cool in late March. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk Mississippi on supertalk.fm, streaming there, supertalk.fm. Glad to have you along. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online you can find them at mslandbank.com where they know the lay of the land. At Mississippi Land Bank, they finance land and all that's related to it. For over 100 years, Mississippi Land Bank has been providing the financing and refinancing solutions for families, individuals, and groups that want to purchase rural land and need to finance that purchase. They also offer financing and refinancing solutions for improvements to property, equipment to maintain the property, loans for production, livestock, and other related financial needs. You can find a branch location, the people that are involved with Mississippi Land Bank, and a phone number on their website, mslandbank.com. Borky, happy Tuesday. What's up? Oh, happy Tuesday to you. A stressful day for yours truly, to be honest. Tell it. Tell it. What, what, what's up? I put in an offer on a house today. Oh, man, it's hard to hide money. Oh, yeah, right. Um, it's taken forever to find something under budget. But, um, of course, we find one that we like. It, here's the thing. It gets posted last First of night. all, congratulations. That's really cool. Well, That's like a maturity milestone. The first offer you put in on on a real house that you're trying to buy. So that's cool. Yeah, the problem is two other people have done the exact same thing on the same house today. It got listed ah! last night. We saw it this morning, and there's two other offers. So we've even um, – I'm, I'm not going to get into the financial details, but it's we, we've had to change our offer three times now to try to so, make so, sure that we're the one that they accept and – and now I'm sitting here for 24 hours waiting by the phone, uh, hoping that this seller says yes to me. It's a unique experience. What's the house like? Because I'm pretty sure a couple months ago we dubbed you having a hypothetical kid on the way on this show. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Look at Ribby putting the cart before the horse just a bit. Let, let, let's stick to the house for now. It, it has adequate bedrooms to, to fit that kind of thing. We were more worried about the dogs and cat first, but... Um, no, it, it's exactly what we're looking for, but I guess that's the problem is everybody else is looking for it too. So I don't know. It's stressful as can be. I'm sitting here just looking at my phone every five seconds waiting for my realtor to call, and if they do, great. If not, well, I guess we're back to looking. Okay, so did you initially make a full price offer on the house, or was it you were trying to get a, a deal? We're trying to get a deal, but the house is really nice, and, and we knew it was going to go quickly, so we didn't. Uh, we weren't considering going too far below asking price. And then, oh, they're getting a second offer today. So we went to asking price. And it's, oh, well, they're getting a third offer today as well. So we bumped it up even a little bit higher than that. Man, if if you are in the house selling business, like you're trying to sell a house, that is every bit as stressful. Especially if there's any sense of urgency. 
as buying a house is? Do you know how cool it is if you put your... Now, one, you better be real sure you want to sell your house because there's, there's no backtracking on it. And two, can you imagine putting your house on the market and getting three offers on the day you list it <laughs> only to have... Uh, uh, only to have the offer up three twice during the day. Yeah, I, I bet they are just loving their life right now. But I'm not. I mean, it, Richard, it got okay. Hold, hold on, I got to offer you a piece of advice. Got to offer you a piece of advice. This comes from a buddy of mine, smart guy. He says, "Tell him to back away. They're working you." He he says you got to let your offer ride, see what happens. Don't bid against yourself. Noted. Hey, maybe it's good advice. Maybe it's not. I don't know. Hey, Dad, do you remember the first house you bought? Yes. It was, was it stressful. It was only... No, not for me, because I just told my wife, "Hey, get us a house." And I, I, the, I did. We had, we had almost, <laughs> we had basically committed to buying it before I even saw it. I just said, is, "I did." I, is I didn't that the house that, that you're currently in? Currently living in, yes. Okay. The first we we built the first house that we bought, and learned some pretty significant lessons along the way. It was a great house, and it was in a good neighborhood. But there's some things that that you do the first time you buy a house that you probably won't do the second time, and there's absolutely nothing that anyone can tell you. You just got to learn some stuff on your own. So you want to drop some of that advice onto onto your boy here? Uh, maybe we'll do that off the air. I appreciate that because I'm swimming right now. It's cool, man. It's also cool to realize that you're no longer paying rent, which just kind of vanishes into the ether. Oh yeah, I mean, people keep telling me, "Oh, well, you know, you got to really worry about your mortgage." And I, I talked to my lender today and he gave me what the mortgage would be if the if the the seller says yes to our house and I celebrated. It's like, "Are you kidding me? <laughs> this is so much cheaper than my rent." All things Okay, included. so your mortgage payment will be less than your rent payment. Far significantly less than my rent payment. Well, good for you, man. Congratulations. That was kind I, or of maybe the I should for this. Yeah, maybe I should hold the congratulations for whether or not they say yes or no. I know, knock on wood, right? Yeah. Hey, uh, you can text the show, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Listen, I'm going to say this as a caveat, and then I'm not going to rela- read any messages related to this. I know that for some of you, the second we talk anything not related to sports, you immediately go into your, your get-back-to-sports mode. I understand that. Uh, But the majority of you aren't like that. And I had a conversation with somebody over the course of the weekend that said, my favorite thing about your show, and my wife listens, and her favorite thing about your show is that you don't always talk about sports. Sometimes it's about other stuff. So we are going to go through this journey with Michael Borky, at least as much as he will allow us to. I don't think he's going to tell us the address of the house. I don't think he's going to tell us how much it's listed for. I don't think he's going to tell us how much he offered. But we'll try and walk through this journey with him. And so I would say to you, if on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, the C Spire text line, C Spire, customer inspired, 
if on the C Spire text line you have any advice that you would like to offer to Michael Borky as a first-time home buyer, fire away. Fire away. Very cool. Looking forward to it because I need it. I have no idea what we've just gotten ourselves into. Uh, Johnny says that you should pray about it and what you feel like God tells you, stick with it. This message from the 601, I pay 1300 a month in rent, and it makes me sick. That's in the Rankin County area. Uh, a counter uh, to the text that I read to you from a buddy of mine that said they're just playing you said, not necessarily so. My daughter got three offers the first day showing her house in Nashville. Yeah, we So much of it just depends on... Yeah, it just depends on what kind of a market you're in. Yeah, and we, we've run into that problem already. See, she works really hard and works at a veterinary clinic, and so she can't just you know leave work whenever. And I would like to think I work kind of hard, so just getting up and leaving during the day is not necessarily an option. Four times now, we have found a house during the week that we liked, that fit our budget, all that stuff. And by Saturday, when we were available to go look at it, it was already gone four times. So we're not messing around anymore. So, so, so you're telling me that the greater Madison area is um, it's kind hot of a hot right real estate now. market. Yeah, apparently so. Okay. Uh, Hal suggests don't be afraid to walk away. If it's meant to be, it will be. Uh, Richard says be patient. I'm sorry, this says be patient, and like Richard mentioned, don't bid against yourself. Make sure that you get as much specific as you can about the other offers. And here's just a practical suggestion. Make sure the utility room is big enough. <laughs> that's a good point. I've got uh, – we're in a three-bedroom right now, and that's what we're looking at is at least three bedrooms. And I've converted one into like a little studio. So on one side I've got – a desk with like a microphone set up and a mixer and, and like soundproof stuff. And then on the other side, I've got two TVs and my recliner and, and you know, my Xbox and stuff like that on the other side that I've made my little bonus room. There you go. Hey, what's coming up this afternoon that is sports related that is not related to Michael Borky's paycheck or his uh, future tax returns? By the way, you've asked about tax returns. Y- you get to write off mortgage interest. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah, that sounds fun. Uh,. Updates on not Michael Borky, but Michael Avenetti. Crazy story. Baseball coming up tonight. Ole Miss at Memphis. Mississippi State hosting Valley. Kendall Rogers will join us to talk a little baseball. Take a look at college football attendance numbers. Trending in the wrong direction if you're an AD, uh, an athletic director. Lamar Peters with a pretty interesting Instagram post that we will get to coming up. And former Mississippi State quarterback Nick Fitzgerald will join us in about half an hour on the Farm Bureau phone line. Big day with you. Glad to have you along for the ride in the Renaissance Bank studio at Sports Talk Mississippi. All right, so apparently now we've got a hashtag for this. Scott uses the hashtag Borky House. He says, get a termite treatment report or complete home inspection report. Hashtag Borky House. Got the termite uh, thing covered already, actually, and the home inspection will come. There you uh, go. If they accept the offer. So we're, there we're, we're you go. good there. 
uh, we got some advice that we'll sprinkle in that's uh, that's coming out along the way. So uh, good to have you along for the ride this afternoon. It is Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Let's dive into some of what is going on this afternoon. We'll get to some baseball, uh, a bunch of baseball stuff, actually, some college baseball, some MLB stuff. Did you guys realize that opening day is like two days away? Yeah, they're already playing games in the home stadiums. Yes. Final exhibition games. Uh, last night you had the Redbirds and the Cardinals play in Memphis. Had a big crowd for uh, for that ball game. But before we get into any of that, uh, I teased it before the break. Hey, Dad, bring us up to date. Lamar Peters, uh, an Instagram post a little bit earlier today uh, that I don't even know how much room for interpretation it leaves at uh, at this point. Looks like he is done in Starkville. Yes, because you know I love Instagram. I don't know if any of y'all know this, by the way. I am a huge on Instagram. No, none of that is true. Uh, Lamar Peters, yeah. And you never know with these kind of things, obviously, and you wait for an official statement and all those things. But like you said, Richard, I don't, I don't see a lot of, uh, of wiggle room here. I'm going to read what he says. Out for good. Thanks to the Most High for blessing me to play this game. I love at the highest level of college basketball. It's about time me and Starkville separated. And then he gives the deuces emojis. Like so, that reads like I'm out. You know, famously, uh, Renardo Sidney tweeted that after his final uh, game at Mississippi State, and people were, were glad to see him go. Of course, at the time, uh, with with Peter left out a word though. He didn't just say out for good. He said two out for good. Oh, two. He, I'm sorry, he, I that was he went third person, but third person by referring to himself as his own jersey. I note. thought that was part of his his like Instagram tag. I misread that. That's my. No, point. he's he's headshot Peters underscore on Instagram. So two, and he out says two out for good. Thanks to the Most High for blessing me to play this game. I love at the highest level of college basketball. It's about time me and Starkville separated. Peace out, emoji. Or as you said, the deuces emoji, if you deuces. prefer. Yes. What's the difference in deuces and peace out? They're the same. Okay. Peace out is like late nineties. Deuces yeah. is more twenty ten. There you go. Plus his number was deuce as well. So that's right, he was um, on too. What does um, this mean? Uh, well, the first thing that strikes me is Ben Howland is gonna have to hit the grad transfer market. He's got to find a point guard now because he doesn't have one on his team. Uh, even if Nick Weatherspoon does come back, he is not a true one. He can play the one, but he's not a true one. So same thing States for Tyson got, Carter? Same thing. Yeah, Tyson Carter can do it, but he's, that's not his best spot. So they are going to have to go out and get somebody who can play it from day one. Uh, if Because I mean, there's, there's no there's no high school kid that, out there right now that I look on, on at 24-7's rankings, unless somehow LaMelo Ball wants to come to Mississippi State, uh, that they can come in and step in from day one and play. So for me, that means yeah. they're going to have to hit the transfer market. You and jump all Peters, over that train. <laughs> I have some fun covering that, I tell you that. Didn't uh, he lose his eligibility, though? Like, like he can't play he college might have, basketball. Yeah, because I was looking at 24-7 and, like, it, where all the, the the college choices are for him, it just said not applicable. So maybe that you might be right there, Michael. Um, and then for Peters himself, I mean, I, Peters is a guy that every game he did something that made me think that 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 he could play in the NBA. But then every game he would do something else that made me think there's no chance this guy could play in the NBA. He's just so inconsistent. I think he's got a world of talent, 
and he could probably make a long career of playing basketball at some level, but at the NBA level, I, I don't know if that's the case or not. I, I would agree with your statement that he is a pro. I don't know where he's a pro. I don't know if he gets a shot in the NBA. I don't know if he ends up on a G League team or if he ends up playing for the next 12 years in Turkey. Um, which, by the way, there's nothing wrong with that. That's a, a really good make way a good to make living. a living. Would yeah. he play college basketball anywhere else? I don't think he'd be a grad transfer, so he would have to sit out a year. That doesn't strike me as, as what he would want to do. But I could be wrong. I have to check and see if, he, if he's grad transfer eligible. Yeah. Um, I mean, that means three starters gone. Right. So, Quindary Weatherspoon obviously has graduated, and it, or is graduating, and his eligibility is up. Mm-hmm. Eric Coleman is senior as well, and now Lamar Peters not coming back. And so, yes, there is a, there, there is a nucleus of young talent led by Reggie Perry, and of course, Robert Woodard II. A great big question mark next to Nick Weatherspoon. Mm-hmm. And then you better go get some guys because we talked about it a lot this year. And, and Ben Howland didn't a hundred percent agree with me when I asked him about it one time at a shoot around, but they only played seven guys. I mean, yeah. did they have a guy that came in and played four or five or seven minutes from time to time that was an eighth man in the rotation? Yeah. But they only played seven. And you've just lost three of those seven and maybe a fourth if you count Weatherspoon not coming back. Nick Weatherspoon. Right. Well, they were playing eight when Nick was uh, was on the team. Uh, yeah, I guess you're right. Playing the starting five with Carter, Woodard, and then either Holman or Perry, who you know they switched out starting towards the end of the year. So, so you would assume that Woodard is a starter next year, that Perry's a starter next year, and that Tyson Carter is a starter next mm-hmm. year. I would assume that. And then probably Abdullah Du is a starter as well. Well, and so okay. You need to find a no. point guard. Uh, you're going to need DJ Stewart, who you redshirted this year, to immediately make a big contribution. You're going to need Keyshawn Fazell, who, you know, that guy was the number two player in the state a couple of years ago behind Nick Weatherspoon. I think he's got and basically some didn't play this year. He, he did not play very much, especially he didn't even play when Weatherspoon got suspended. Right. So that leads you to believe that, you know, they, they didn't have a lot of faith in him. And, and Howell would come out and tell us, oh, you know, he's going to be a big part of this rotation. And I, I, I guarantee after uh, Nick Weatherspoon was suspended, he might not have played a combined 20 minutes. So he's going to have to, to find some more minutes for him. And then, like I said, you're going to have to get some guys in here. Now, one guy we're leaving out, uh, the transfer from Siena, who sat out, who sat out this season, expected to play next year, Prince Adoru. He will be a, a key member of that rotation next year. But they've got they don't have a one. There's no point guard on this team. They've got to go out and find a guy who can handle that role. Okay. We'll uh, we'll keep an eye on that. And I mean, do you think we get an answer on the future of Nick Weatherspoon anytime soon? Well, I mean, unless it just comes out of the blue. I mean, I don't know the next time we're going to talk to Howland. I can't imagine it's going to be anytime soon. State doesn't normally do like a uh, an exit interview with anybody at the end of the season, you know, we, we may not speak to Howland again until the summer. So I, I don't expect to have any resolution on that in the, the next few weeks, I'll put it that way, and then we'll just have to see. College baseball tonight, Ole Miss is at Memphis, AutoZone Park. Rippy, uh, how important is this one tonight for Ole Miss? Jordan Fowler on the mound. It is in the sense that 
if they're I don't know how to word this correctly, but if they're going to be a win or two below what most people thought they would be from a S conference win threshold, your R they need to strengthen they need to avoid RPI pitfalls in the midweek, I guess is what I'm getting at. Particularly with the way they've kind of slogged through the non the conference slate so far through two weeks. Uh Memphis's RPI, what is it, one thirty ish? Mid one thirties, I think I looked that up yesterday. Memphis uh, one thirty three. Uh, they are 11 and 11 on the year. So that's uh, where Memphis is in the RPI. That's not a game that kills you from an RPI standpoint. Doesn't do a ton to help you. It is on the road. So there's that. But it's one you don't need to lose. Correct. Hey, Dad, a uh, little bit different story tonight from an RPI standpoint as Mississippi State is hosting Mississippi Valley State. They are at 233 in the RPI. Valley's only played 13 games this year. They're 5-8 and eight so far uh, this season. Actually made a pretty big jump last week in the RPI. They were down in the, the 260s, maybe even the 270s, uh, and jumped a little bit. Probably still early to be looking at RPI and probably doesn't matter a whole lot for Mississippi State because they're sitting in the top 20. Kind of same story, though. Uh, Just go out and win the game tonight. Yeah, not the most exciting game in the world. Probably boring enough to the point where I'll duck over to football for a few minutes when practice wraps up and talk to Bob Shoup. Uh, but, yeah, it's just about winning this game. What I would like to see if I'm Mississippi State is last week in the midweek, both games you gave up four runs in the first inning and had to come from behind. Now, you were able to do that. I'd like you like to see some shutdown pitching from uh, Eric Sarantola tonight in the first inning. So Mississippi Valley State is SWAC school, not the first SWAC school that Mississippi State has played this year. They beat Grambling 18-1. to They beat Arkansas Pine Bluff 14-1. to uh, also have a, uh, a win over Jackson State mixed in there at 17-4. to Jackson State is... Why am I even asking this question? Jackson State is technically in the SWAC, yes? They're not technically in it, they're in it. Yes. Okay. I, why, for whatever reason, I was trying to put Jackson State in a different conference, um... Obviously, that's not the case. So, uh, fourth SWAC school that Mississippi State has played in the midweek this year coming up this weekend. Sports Talk Mississippi with you coming up next. This should be fun. We're going to chat with Nick Fitzgerald on the Farm Bureau phone line. News just beginning to circulate on Twitter and kind of making its way all over the place. Arkansas is going to make a head coaching change in basketball. Uh, Mike Anderson and Arkansas have parted ways. We'll get more into that in just a little while, but if you're keeping count at home, that means Texas A&M, Alabama, Vanderbilt, Arkansas, and soon-to-be LSU, most likely all open as far as basketball coaching goes. We'll get to that in just a little bit. Right now, though, we'll go to the Farm Bureau phone line, check out favorites.com, and go with the home team. Happy to have Nick Fitzgerald with us this afternoon. Nick, appreciate a few minutes of your time uh, a busy week coming up, and I guess kind of a busy month or so. You had the combine, got pro day coming up. How are you, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I appreciate y'all having me on. Yeah, what's this process like for you? Uh, kind of going back to the season ends, you get past the bowl game, you turn your sights to getting ready for whatever is next, and that includes the combine and pro day and making a run at being a pro football player. Absolutely. So uh, the the bowl game ended. You know, sadly not the way we wanted it to, but you know that's that's life and that's football. 
Uh, a few days later, I got my invite to to the combine, so I was extremely excited about that. I uh, headed down to South Florida and Fort Lauderdale to uh, to do my combine prep and, and work with my quarterback coach down there, Ken Strolley. Uh, and honestly, it's, it's been a, it's been a great process. You know, I don't think there's ever going to be another time in my life where all I have to worry about is you know working out twice a day and throwing a football around. So uh, yeah. definitely something in my element, and you know, thoroughly enjoyed the entire process. And you know, a, a lot of things that I've done that you know people will will, will never really get to do. And you know, I'm going to keep these memories forever. Yeah, Nick. People watch the combine, and so you have some players that do everything. And then some players that do nothing, and then with some there's kind of a mix. So, so when you're working with your agent and going through your training, how do you decide which drills at the combine that you're going to participate in, and which ones you're going to take a pass on, and maybe wait for pro day or for individual workouts? Uh, well, you know, to me, if, if you're going to be at the combine, uh, you should you should really try to do everything you can. Um, you know, you know, injuries and that sort of thing kind of kind of hamper some people, and I understand that. Uh, when it comes to my position, it's, it's a little different than most. You know, quarterbacks, no, no one ever bench presses anymore. Like, as, as you saw at the Combine, you know, not a single quarterback there bench pressed. Um, they don't even ask us to anymore. They just, they just automatically assume we're not going to. Hmm. Uh, but outside of that, um, we, we, we do everything. Uh, or, you know, you, I think you should do everything that you can uh, at the Combine. I, myself, did not get to do uh, my 5-10-5 shuttle or my L-cone drill uh, due to a, a slight hamstring problem that I had during my 40-yard dash. Um, but, you know, everything else you should probably just go for and, uh, you know, try to get your best times there. I mean, it's, that, to me, it's the best time to do it. Um, you're already there. You're already ready to go, surrounded by people in your position, and, you know, it's a good time to compete against them as well. Nick, it's Brian Haydad. Just also at the Combine, you, you were invited to work out with the tight end group. How did that go? What feedback did you get from the NFL regarding a possible position change? Uh, well, it, it wasn't exactly a position change, um, and, and I wasn't really contacted about it until I stepped foot uh, in Indianapolis and, and got there. Uh, that's when teams asked me if I'd be willing to do it. Um, and, you know, I hadn't hadn't caught a pass or ran a route in five years since I was in high school, so uh respectfully declined to do it there and then said that I would uh I would run some run some routes in my pro day tomorrow, which I will be doing. Uh but it, it all comes back to not not really a a, a position change but more of like I I guess a, a Taysom Hill uh type situation. Uh just a quarterback that, that can athletic that's athletic enough to go play uh, other positions and get on the field and help the team. Nick, how do you feel about that idea? With, I mean, the opportunity to be a pro football player is something that a lot of guys don't get. Um, if it's somewhat of a hybrid, you mentioned Taysom Hill. I think that's a great example, and you know, you kind of look at skill sets, and maybe there's a there's some comparison there. Do you like the idea of that? If that is your best route to to make a team and and get catch on and have an NFL career. Uh, you know, first and foremost, I I, I, I want to be a quarterback. Uh, yeah, I want to be known as a quarterback. That's that's the position I play. It's what I want to sure. do. Uh, but at the end of the day, um, you know, if you get a chance to play in the NFL as as whatever position they want you to play, uh, you know, to me that's 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 incredible. You know, it's something I've wanted to do since I was six years old. And you know, to get the chance to to go play in the NFL, whether it's at my position or another one, I'm completely happy to do it. And, you know, I'm not unwilling to to do whatever I need to do to to get there and to play at that level. Um, 
but at the end of the day, you know, I want to be a quarterback. So it's uh, sure it's, it's kind of a you know kind of a line that you have to toe. You know, do you want to just kind of go all out and to say I'm going to be a quarterback, or do you want to be willing to you know play other positions? And then I'm most definitely willing to to flex around and then do what I have to do. Nick Fitzgerald on your radio at Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Pro day for him coming up this week in Starkville. I want to I want us to get to this now and not hold it till the end where we've got to rush through it because I'm really interested to find out. I, I know that you've kind of teamed up with Blair Batson uh, Children's Hospital, part of UMMC in Jackson. What, what's the relationship? Why was that important to you? And, and tell us a little bit more about Blair E. Batson because it's an incredibly special place. Uh, well, so I, I was contacted by a company uh, named Pledge It, and they, they work with a lot of athletes um, specifically doing their pro days at the Combine about, um, you know, just raising money for, you know, whatever cause that that player wants to raise money for. Um, so for me, myself, every time we've gone to a bowl game, we've always gone and visited, you know, the children's hospitals, and, and I've been to Jackson, I've visited the children's hospital there, uh, Larry Batson. And it's always been a really special time for me. Um, so it's kind of one of those things that you get in there, and it's it, it's a really sad situation. You know, you, you, your heart breaks for these kids who you know have gone through stuff that you know most of us can't even uh, imagine. You know, um, and yet every single time we're in there, they're so excited to see us, they're so happy, smile on their face, you know, loving yeah. loving the life that they have. And uh, you know, that's something that's always really touched me. And uh, anything that I can do to you know, help those kids out in any sort of way. You know, I would love to do that. And so that's why I teamed up with Pledge It to do a, um, a donations per completion for my pro day. Um, and so for every every pass completed, we'll, you know, you, people will donate money to it and, and all of it's going to them. And you know, I'm just really excited and, and happy that, you know, I can use my platform to, you know, help these kids you know, any way I possibly can. Well, kudos to you for that partnership and for helping raise money for a uh, fantastic place here in the in the state of Mississippi. You said a second ago that that you would run some routes or you'd be willing to do that at your pro day. Who's going to throw to you? Um, honestly, I haven't really gotten that far yet. Um, uh, I, I didn't really think about it. Uh, I know there's not going to be another quarterback there, so I'm going to assume that uh, maybe one of the one of the NFL guys will, will throw to me or. Uh, my quarterback coach uh, that's coming into town to to run my my quarterback workout will stay a little bit afterwards and, and swing the ball to me a little bit. You, you know, Hey Dad's going to be there tomorrow with the media. <laughs> oh no, now, no, he, he doesn't throw a real tight spiral, but it's a catchable ball. So, so if it's just about catching it, that might be something worth exploring. <laughs> Nick, you're going to yeah, run a lot of smash routes if, you, if, if you, that's the if case. You can get it, if you can get it to me, let's let's make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> So that, let, let's not go down that road. I, I'm not sure that that's really the uh, the route to showcase your I mean, skills. I mean, pretty much. I mean, I mean, at that point, you know, part of my NFL career is in your hands. So I don't really know if that's uh, that's the pressure you want on yourself. <laughs> You're right about that, Nick. I'm curious about this. Uh, there are a lot of guys that 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 are in school for five years, but it's got to feel like you have been in Starkville for half your life. So so you enroll early, you red shirt. You sit behind Dak for a year and then a three-year starter. I mean, does it feel like you were born in Octavio County? <laughs> uh, you know, not not exactly born here, but I definitely feel like I've been here for a very long time. And honestly, it's it's not a bad place to uh, 
to say that about. Um, you know, I, I love Starkville. I love the school. You know, I love the students, the fans, everybody, and you know, everything about it has always been, you know, really positive and you know, always a great experience for me. Uh, but yeah, it definitely feels like I've been here for half my life. Hey, we've only got just a little bit of time left, so I want to circle back to the conversation that we had at SEC Media Days back in July. You, you talked to me about life goals beyond football, that, that you were interested in the possibility of becoming a financial manager, that, that the idea of working on Wall Street was fascinating to you. Hey, have you kind of soaked up the business side of, of getting ready for the Combine and getting ready for Pro Day and kind of seeing a different side of sports than you've seen as a player already? Uh it definitely, it, it's definitely, so I guess going from college to trying to be in the professionals is, is definitely uh, kind of a big jump, and, and you, know, you really see the money side of it more you know, as you get out of college. But, you know, for me, who someone who is a smart guy, I've seen the, I've seen the business side to, to college football my whole career. You know, sure. everything, you know, whether people want to say it or not, everything is about money. And you know, and, and obviously for us players, it's about playing the game for the fans, about watching. But you know, it, it's a business; it's a money-making business. And uh, you know, that's just kind of amplified now as you get out of college and move, you know, towards where it's obviously very open about you know making money, paying players, uh, and, and that sort of thing. So I've definitely always kind of been able to see the money side of it. Uh, it's just a lot more profound now. Well, really fascinating insight. Nick, I hope we can catch up with you again as we get closer to the, the draft. Really appreciate your time and uh, wish you all the best with Pro Day. Absolutely. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's Nick Fitzgerald. Mississippi State will meet up with Mississippi Valley State out of the SWAC tonight at 6.30 in Starkville. We've got a ton to get to this afternoon, and the number of things that we've got to work in is going up by the minute. Sports Talk brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank online at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. If you've got land financing needs of any kind, Mississippi Land Bank can help, whether it's financing or refinancing, an existing loan, a property, um, equipment to work on that property, whatever it is, they can help. Fantastic people that you're dealing with at Mississippi Land Bank, mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. What we don't know is the lay of the land in basketball coaching in the SEC. Here's the thing that's really interesting to me right now. Guys, we've talked so much about the SEC's upgrade in basketball in recent years. right? The, the commitment via the schedule, in a better competition, more emphasis, facilities upgrades, and great coaching hires. So, last year, there were only two jobs that were filled in the SEC. Georgia hired Tom Crean. Ole Miss hired Kermit Davis. This year, there are going to be, there is going to be a minimum of four new coaches in the SEC. Most likely, there will be five new coaches in the SEC. And I guess there's an outside chance that it could be more than that. If I'm doing the math correctly, there are 14 teams in the league, two last year, five this year, if you assume that LSU is going to get a new head coach. That's half the league turning over at the head coaching spot in two years. That's crazy. First and foremost, I would like to point out that I called this on this very program. That I said 
I said Mike Anderson was going to be in trouble. Um, so I'll take the very small pat on the back there. Um, yeah, uh, what it says hey, to me uh, is... Hold if, on, let, if, let me interrupt for a second and, and tell you the only re- the only hesitation that I saw to that mm-hmm. was the announcement that came before the season ended that they were about to put Nolan Richardson yeah. on the court. Yeah, I didn't, I, I, and I forgot about it. I remember you saying that. This and, complicates uh, that. Ooh, yes, it does. Um, at the end of the day, though, what's Mike Anderson done at Arkansas, a program that sort of fancies itself as one of the elite programs in college basketball. They have a national title, and they had some success in the 90s, but they haven't done much since then, but they have kept that expectation level. And, you know, Stan Heath, it didn't work. And John Pelfrey, it didn't work. And, and it, it just hasn't worked since Nolan Richardson, Nolan Richardson was in his prime there. So I don't know, you know, who the new coach is going to be, but he's going to have to be a guy who can come in and convince these fans that, to let him, you know, build this program because right now, I mean, they just don't have a lot of talent. They had Daniel Gafford this year, but we know that he was very up and down. And beyond that, I mean, I can't name a single player that they had. I'm sure you can, Richard, because you know you're more yeah. into the college basketball than I am. But you know, there used to be a time where I could tell you everybody, all the starters for Arkansas. And now I just can't do that anymore. Um. Mike Anderson went to three NCAA tournaments in eight years at Arkansas. That that is, let's just be honest. That is a place where that is not good enough. Yeah. Recent results aside, Arkansas cares deeply about basketball. It's been twenty-five years since they won a national championship. Twenty-four years since they played in the championship game. But only three trips to the NCAA tournament under Mike Anderson. Now, Mike Anderson has never had a losing season. He was an assistant for for, uh, Nolan Richardson, five years at UAB, three trips to uh, to the NCAA tournament, including the Sweet 16 in his second year. Five years at Missouri, Three trips to the NCAA tournament, including the Elite Eight in his third season. Eight years at Arkansas, which was kind of like going home, and only three trips to the NCAA tournament, and never to the second weekend. Arkansas never made a Sweet 16 under Mike Anderson. A couple of thoughts with regard to Mike Anderson. These don't matter, by the way. I, I, I completely realize they don't matter. Except for the fact that maybe they matter a little bit more, or they matter today in basketball than they did a year ago. Mike Anderson's a good guy. There are a lot of people that have a great deal of respect for him and just kind of the way he carries himself. So that's that's one thing. Um, number two, there has never been even a whisper of trouble with the NCAA with regard to Mike Anderson. So, those two things might matter more today than they did a year ago. Saw a tweet from Tom Hart of the SEC Network and ESPN a little while ago uh, that said, maybe it's just me, but if I was an AD, regardless of what fans wanted right now, and I had a stable basketball coach, even if the results didn't exactly match up, I'm paraphrasing, by the way, I think I'd hold on to my guy, even if it meant waiting one more year to make a change. Just with the uncertainty. Where does Arkansas stack up among what could be a bunch of available jobs this time next year? 
It's a pretty dang good job. Where do they stack right now with, with what, five jobs open and, and you know, with LSU in flux? Where, where do you rank them among the programs that are currently looking for coaches in the SEC? I mean, are they behind Texas A&M? I would think so. Are they behind Alabama? I don't know. Um, <coughs> excuse me. That's a really good question. So, so the four that are currently open in the SEC, Vanderbilt, Texas A&M, Alabama, and Arkansas. Will Wade won't even talk to his boss. He's going to be fired eventually. Question for me is, if LSU looks around and they see everywhere they look, we got job openings. We got to find us a coach. How long will they wait before they can Will Wade? Or does it just not matter because of what they know is ultimately going to be coming from the NCAA? I don't know. I, I would say that today, because of what is likely to be coming from the NCAA, I would I would rank LSU as the least desirable of those five openings. Just because of the NCAA stuff, though. Yes. In, in a vacuum... That's a very desirable job. Is it? I think so. I mean, Brady they got to there the Final the Four. Dale Brown was close. I mean, he, Dale Brown got him to the Final Four, but... Twice, yeah. Um, they don't care that much about basketball at LSU, though. Well, I mean, that's true, too, but that's true about Alabama. It's probably true about Texas A&M. It's true about a lot of schools, especially in the South. It's always going to be football first. But all of those but, places that we just named, they will support basketball when it's winning. Yeah. Well, is the landscape changing that idea as well? Because, I mean, I'll just use a local example. When November comes, Ole Miss can win 10 games on the football field or lose 10 games on the football field. When November comes, people are going to care about basketball. And it's, that, it's going to be that way in Knoxville. It's, I mean, it's been that way for a little while. And even in Columbia, South Carolina, the, the conference itself, the attention that people are paying to it, not even for the high-level teams, has elevated some, hasn't it? There's more pressure to win. There's, there's more attention being paid on the league. It's not just getting better on the court, but it seems to me that people are caring more about what's going on on the court. Five years ago, Mike Anderson doesn't get fired with his current record, right? But there's more pressure because everybody else in the league is getting better. Yeah, I mean, here's the list of coaches right now in the SEC. Frank Martin at South Carolina, heck of a coach. Mike White at Florida, I think Mike's a really good coach. And they've got some dudes coming in. They've got three top 50 guys that are coming into Florida next year. Rick Barnes at Tennessee speaks for itself. Tom Crean at Georgia. We'll see. Number one player in the country going to Georgia next year. Conzo Martin in Missouri. Pretty good coach, isn't he? Has been successful. Kermit Davis at Ole Miss, reigning SEC Coach of the Year. Ben Hallett at Mississippi State, three Final Fours at UCLA. Bruce Pearl still has his team playing in the second weekend of the tournament. You're going to have to come strong if you want to hire a guy that's going to be on the level of those eight guys. Here's one name for you. I'd say Kelvin Sampson will be coaching in the SEC next year, not at Houston.
probably a good call. Where to, A&M? Maybe Arkansas. Sports Talk Mississippi with you in the Renaissance Bank studio. we got more coming up. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. Glad to have you along. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad. You can text the show, C Spire text line, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Gary and Meridian. Ask any Indiana basketball fan what they think about Kelvin Sampson, guaranteed you will get an earful. Decent coach, but not ethical enough to be considered for a coach in a major conference such as the SEC. So yeah, Kelvin Sampson has had some uh, issues with the NCAA. Had him at Oklahoma and had him at Indiana. There's nothing currently to point to with regard to NCAA issues. What about his career? Took Washington State to the first round of the NCAA tournament at Oklahoma. First round in 95. First round in 96. First round in 97 and 98. Sweet 16 in 99. Second round in 2000. First round in 2001. Final four in 02. Elite eight in 03. NIT in 04. Second round in 05. First round in 06. Took Indiana to the second round of the tournament in 07, fired before the season ended ended in 08. And he's gotten Houston to the NCAA tournament in each of the last two years. Last year, a second-round exit. This year, they're still playing in the Sweet 16. And, oh, by the way, the guy that hired him at Houston, Hunter Juracek, is the athletics director now at Arkansas. I have reached out to a buddy of mine that covers the Arkansas program, and I said, is Kelvin Sampson a slam dunk? He said, no. No, not a slam dunk, but very much in the mix. NCAA issues don't scare me. Does that make me callous or or bad? Because the the fact that he has a pass with the NCAA only tells me that he's willing to do what it takes to get the players that he needs to win at the highest level. And maybe he won't be... He won't get caught this time. Maybe he learned from that past with dealings with the NCAA. That doesn't bother me. Because you're either doing it or you get caught doing it, but nobody's not doing it at the highest level. In a few weeks, or maybe in a month or two, we might find out that every coach in America has an NCAA issue. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> jump on board. Well, and that may have been the bigger picture or the bigger point that that Tom Hart was making, that the tweet that I pointed out earlier as far as just kind of waiting things out. Because you don't know yet. you got that trial coming up in, what, two weeks? Uh, it's a little bit longer than that. I think it's towards the end of April, the 22nd or 23rd. All right. Let's play fill in the blank. Give me a good head coach. For these jobs. Alabama. The guy I thought they wanted to get just signed an extension with Iowa State, Steve Prom. Steve Prom. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna stay put at Iowa State. I mean Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt needs to find needs to go the same route they went with Bryce Drew and try to find an up and coming mid major guy or a or a good assistant. Mike Young. Where is he? Wofford. Tennessee Tech? Uh, Wofford. Okay. 
That would be a good good choice. But it it did take him a while to build at Wofford. And it, Wofford, to me, is like Vanderbilt, though, because it's, it's a better academic school. It's a private school. It's, it's got very similar qualities to Vanderbilt all the way down to the color scheme. And if he can work it at Wofford where they're in a conference where there are schools that that are easier to get into than his, well, same thing at Vanderbilt. It, they're very similar, just on a smaller scale. All right, let, Jeff Goodman says that these are the top ten jobs that are open right now. Alabama, Arkansas, Texas A&M, UCLA, Cal, Washington State, Nebraska, BYU, UNLV, and St. Joseph's. Does Andy Kennedy fit any of those ten? He could. He he certainly... Andy Kennedy took what was, at the time, the most difficult job in the SEC and became the winningest coach in the history of Ole Miss basketball and does not have any issues with the NCAA. Does that make him more or less attractive for the big jobs? Because like you said, I mean, he's famous for not going the shoe company route. That's kind of his thing. He didn't do it. He didn't get players at Ole Miss by using Nike to do it. That that didn't happen. So people, People know what kind of job he took over at Ole Miss. But my question is... These schools that like jobs that are going to come open, you kind of have to tap into that market, or do you anymore because of what's happening? Is my question. Do you have to be able to recruit that way, or do you have to be willing to recruit that way to land these big jobs anymore because of what's happening? I don't know. Because if the shoe companies are taken out, then Andy Kennedy is a much more attractive coach than. He would have been previously. How about this news that just popped up? Alabama basketball guard Kyra Lewis Jr. has entered the NCAA transfer portal. Dazon uh, Ingram announced he was going to transfer as well. Really? Yeah. Uh, Arkansas players none too pleased with the announcement that uh, Mike Anderson is on his way out. They've taken to Twitter, as you would expect. Doesn't really matter what Daniel Gafford says because he's gone. Doesn't really matter what Adriel Bailey says because he's not any good. And Khalil Garland's a guy that they hope is going to be better when it's all said and done. And Gabe Osaboyan couldn't hit an open jump shot if it was slapping him in the face and he was two feet away. So the guys that they grabbed the tweet quotes from, eh, not really a concern for me. If I'm an Arkansas fan, I'm more worried about what um, Mason Jones thinks. More worried about the, uh, oh, goodness, the freshman that I can't think of his name right now, three-point shooter, just set the freshman record in the SEC. Help, guys. Not getting any help. It's okay. <laughs> I told you I number couldn't four. name a single starter for him. Yeah, number four. Just can't think of his name. Anyway, it's a little crazy. Isaiah Joe? Isaiah Joe. Thank you, SEC all-freshman player. I'm worried about what Isaiah Joe says. Gary and Meridian says Andy Kennedy would be a good fit at Texas A&M. I think that another guy who might be in the mix there is another former Mississippian uh, or coach here in Mississippi. I wouldn't be completely surprised to see Rick Stansberry get get in that mix. He want to talk about differences and how they obtain their players. Hmm. <laughs> Couldn't be more opposite. 
Yeah. Eric Musselman, currently at Nevada. That, that would be a, an interesting choice. He certainly you know, has done a great job out there. And got ties to the NBA as well. I, I Does certainly that work, didn't, Richard? What? Because Avery Johnson didn't work at Alabama, and he was not a bad NBA guy. Is, is there a, a dramatic difference between NBA coaching and college basketball coaching? Uh, I thought, I heard a couple of analysts talking the other day. I think it was Barkley and I don't remember who the other one was. But they were just talking about how vastly different the coaching is in the NBA from college basketball, even with the really good college basketball coaches. Barkley was making the point, you know, you play in a playoff series in the NBA and it's seven games and it's adjustment from game one to game two and then another adjustment and another adjustment and another adjustment and another adjustment. And with college basketball coaches, you put together a scouting report and you go do what you do. It's less about, you know, less about in-game and game-to-game adjustments, which I thought was an interesting way to look at it. Um, so what, Eric Musselman was an assistant with the Memphis Grizzlies, Sacramento Kings, was a head coach in the D-League, head coach at Nevada. So he's been a bunch of places. Was an assistant at LSU for a couple of years on Johnny Jones' staff. Yeah. And has been at Nevada. A good team at Nevada. Was head coach at Golden State. Um, a couple of years head coach for, at Sacramento for a year as well in the, uh, the NBA. He's never made the playoffs in the NBA. Certainly did not anticipate spending this much time talking college basketball today. But this Mike Anderson firing and the Tim Miles firing at at, uh, Nebraska, it's just, it's fascinating. And how does this make Ross Bjork look right now? He's very happy with decisions he has made in his basketball program lately, I imagine. Well, not only in the hire that they made, but the fact that they just extended and gave Kermit Davis a raise a week ago. Mm -hmm. Smart. Yeah, no doubt. Sports Talk Mississippi with you and the Renaissance Bank Studio. Renaissance Bank, understanding you. Time with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming online at supertalk.fm. Here's a baseball nugget for you. Brian Hayden, I don't know if this will make you uh, happy or not. Former SEC Pitcher of the Year, Chris Stratton from 2012, has been traded by the Giants to the Angels, got beat out for the uh, fifth spot in the rotation by Drew Pomeranz. Yeah. So you're, so you're going to have Drew Pomeranz in the rotation. Yeah, that's what it looks like. So There you go. Yeah, Stratton, you know, had some moments with San Fran where he looked really good and then some where he was just really inconsistent. And so they, they made a deal to bring in a left-handed arm. And we'll, we'll see where that takes us. That's pro baseball news about former SEC pitchers. Want to talk current SEC news? We'll do that right now with Kendall Rogers from D1Baseball.com. You can follow him on Twitter. Great stuff there. Kendall, what's up? Oh, same old, same old. I'm enjoying this weather. I think we're going to be able to enjoy it for about four more days until the cold blows in again. But I'll take is it. it. Is it going to get cold in Texas again? 
Well, well, I'm going to Fayetteville this weekend with a high like 45 on Saturday and Sunday, so I'm really not looking forward to that, to say the least. Yeah, uh, certainly not. Um, what do you make of Arkansas so far this year? You know, I like what I've seen. I saw a couple of games against Texas. I've seen a couple of games on the weekend. And, you know, the fact that this offense is doing a pretty good job. Missouri held them at bay. But Missouri, as we saw over the weekend, held a, a pretty solid Ole Miss lineup at bay as well. But I think the biggest thing when I look at Arkansas uh, is they're able to get production. And Casey Martin hasn't even heated up yet. I mean, Casey Martin, I think, is hitting in the mid-260s, and he's a guy that uh, we all know is going to put up great numbers this year. He's pressing a little bit. And, uh, they've, they've been able to, to still sustain success. You look at the kind of a two-game midweek set against Texas, uh, and they really got the offense going. I think when you look at Arkansas, they're very balanced top to bottom. Christian Franklin, a freshman for them, as a really athletic guy who, as we saw against Texas, uh, you know, not only can make things happen on the base pass, uh, but can hit for some power. And, you know, of course, you look at the top of Heston Kirstad and Dom Fletcher and, you know, Jacob Nesbitt and, and guys like that. Uh, that's a pretty balanced lineup. Then on, on the mound, uh, still some question marks, I think. I, I think when you look at Arkansas overall, Isaiah Campbell has certainly answered one big question, is that, and that's really, you know, is he ready to be a premier guy? I mean, when you look at his uh, strike up the walk right now, it's 51-5. to five. That's pretty good. Uh, and yeah. so he's taking a huge step forward. Uh, but other than that, uh, they, they can be had a little bit on the mound. So I think the big thing for Ole Miss this weekend, uh, they've got to get off to a good start because the last time I was in Fayetteville last year against uh, Arkansas, Kentucky, uh, Kentucky did not get off to a good start in any of the games. And uh, I think Arkansas outscored them like 51-7 to or something in three games. Yeah, I remember that series from, from early last year. We'll see how that goes. Um, <laughs> gracious. You mentioned Ole Miss. Let's talk a little bit about the Rebels. Three and three yeah. in league play, and that's with series against Alabama and Missouri. I get that there are no mm-hmm. easy weekends in the SEC, but those aren't the hardest two weekends that they're going to face in league play either. Uh, are you pressing the, the panic button? Is it just a, a concern button with Ole Miss, or not so much? Uh, I think I'm in the middle a little bit. I, I definitely am not pressing the panic button, uh, you know, going into week three of conference. But I do think Ole Miss is in a situation to where, hey, you know what, you, know, you, you kind of need to get off the mat a little bit and show us what you're all about. I mean, they struggle, you know, against Missouri for the most part over the weekend. Uh, against Alabama, they, they look, you know, okay in a couple of games, but, you know, also struggled a little bit in some areas. And so I, I, I think Ole Miss is one of those teams, and we all have high projections for it. Uh, we think there's a lot of upside. But they just have yet to put all the pieces together. So uh, I'm cautiously optimistic. Uh, I think they need to show us something. But uh, this would be a good weekend to start it. You know, Arkansas, the team that, you know, is at home. But the weather, as I mentioned, uh, isn't going to be to the point where, you know, the crowds are going to be insane or anything like that. I think it's going to be cold. The people are going to be quiet. And, uh, you know, Ole Miss has a chance to, to kind of alleviate some of these concerns that we might have. Hey, Dad, you want to jump in on Mississippi State? Yeah, sure. Uh, Kendall, what's up, man? Brian Haydad. Uh, Mississippi State, I mean, yeah. we saw this past weekend. We saw JT Ginn again, dominant. Ethan Small pitched really well, although he didn't get the win, which has sort of been the story of, of his season. Mm-hmm. Are they going to be able to be a team that, that, say, competes for the SEC championship and competes for a national seed if they can't get this Sunday starter thing figured out? Well, I think if you're if you're Mississippi State, you're looking ahead to the postseason. You've got to figure out the Sunday spot because guess what? If it's not going to catch up to you in a regional, 
uh, it's going to catch up to you, you know, catch up to you in a super regional. So uh, I think we're all pretty happy with what Ethan Small and uh, what JT can bring to the table, and I, and I like the bullpen for the most part. I know the pitching staff didn't perform admirably against uh, Auburn at series finale, but I do like the bullpen pieces. But you're right, they, they've got to figure out the, the number three spot because when you start playing some teams out there, you know, especially on the road, and I, and I know they took two or three from Florida, but when you start playing some teams with elite number one and number two starters. Guess what? As good as Ethan and as good as JT are, um, you, you just can't rely on those guys to win all those games. And so you're going to have to be able to pitch on Sunday at some point. So uh, not only is it an important SEC play, but I think even more so for the postseason. But, you know, I, I continue to be really impressed with this team from an offensive uh, perspective. I just think when you look at this club and you look at what they did against, uh, you know, Florida, you know, we talk, we talk so much about Jake Mangum, and I, and I love Mangum. Like, he's probably my favorite player in college baseball just because of the, the passion he brings to the table. Uh, just his skill set and things like that. But other than Mangum, I, I really think the team kind of gravitates towards a guy like Magnum. I mean, you just look at that Florida series a couple weeks ago, and he makes that big catch in the outfield, and the, the team's out there chest bumping him and, and things like that. And so I, I really look at those two guys as, as the guys that just get that offense going. And, you know, Dustin Skelton had some big hits over the weekend. Jordan Westberg is a guy that hit a home run in Omaha last year who we kind of thought would take a step forward. I know Chris Lamonis did, but he's taken a huge step forward and also kind of stabilized that middle infield. So uh, I really, really like State right now. Obviously, the number two team in the country, so you've got to like them. But uh, I really like where this club sits, but you're right. If, if there's anything you can look at that needs to get better, it's certainly that number, uh, number three spot. Kendall Rogers on your radio from D1 Baseball. You can follow him on Twitter, at Kendall Rogers. So you look at the West. Arkansas and A&M at five and one, State, Auburn, LSU all at four and two, Ole Miss three and three, and Alabama two and four. But they've picked one off in each of the last two weekends against Ole Miss and, and Arkansas. Is this thing going to stay super tight all the way through, with maybe even Arkansas and A&M coming back to the pack, or is somebody going to separate in the West? I don't think anybody's going to separate because I think a lot of these teams, or pretty much all these teams. Are, are good, but they, they all kind of have warts, so to speak. You know, kind of going on a list here, not to get too long-winded, but you know, looking at AM, and uh, they've gotten their offense going lately. They're pitching the lead. You know, but can their offense sustain success? LSU certainly is very inconsistent. You don't know what to expect from those guys on the day in and day out. You know, Auburn, for me, uh, I actually was pretty impressed with those guys over the weekend. The fact they don't have Davis Daniel, they don't have Jack Owen, and they still had a pretty legit chance to win that series. I was impressed by that. So if they could get Owen and get Daniel back. It's start to wonder a little bit if Auburn's one of those teams that can kind of creep to the top of the pack with Mississippi State. But I have no doubt uh, this is going to be an absolute war throughout the season. Uh, even with State, as good as State is, all of these teams are more than capable of beating them. You know, State has to go to A&M and places like that. So uh, it, it's going to be a, a dog fight. It's going to be a lot of fun for us to watch, but uh, maybe not so much for Chris Lamotis and Mike Bianco. Kendall, I know you guys put the RPI up about a week ago, and you know this yeah. may be one of those times where people are starting to check that daily. But you're still in the time of the year where you're seeing wild swings. You know, teams move twenty and thirty and forty spots in a week in the RPI. At what point in the season do we really start locking in and focusing on that particular metric? I think you've got about two weeks. Um, I think when you look at the RPI right now, you're starting to see some things sort out. I, mean, I think it was, what, two weeks ago, Xavier had a losing record and they had a top-10 RPI, so that kind of gave you an idea of how irrelevant it was. But now you're starting to see 
you know, Xavier's way out of there. You're starting to see teams like Indiana State kind of pull back. You still have teams like Illinois here in the top, you know, six or seven in the RPI, which I think Illinois is good. They're in our top 25, but are they that good? Probably not. And so there's still a little bit of uh, fine-tuning to go with the RPI, but we're getting closer. You're starting to see that the, the measurables be a little bit more accurate. I do think, the, you know, one team – that I feel like the RPI is going to start being a little bit more accurate with is Mississippi State. I think when you look at State's RPI right now, uh, I think the last time I looked, it was in the late 20s, early 30s. Certainly that's going to correct itself because State's put together a really good resume. So uh, I would say about two more weeks. But the midseason mark, uh, I think things will start taking shape pretty good. All right. As somebody who studied that RPI, you talk about Mississippi State at 17. The fact that they've got four midweek games against SWAC teams, how much is that going to hurt or if they continue to win on the weekends, is it just not going to matter? Uh, if they continue to win on the weekends, it won't matter at all. Uh, the biggest thing is you don't want to lose any of those games. Because I remember even last year, remember they lost that game. I was at Jackson State, I believe. It's right there, all the Canada's era drama, drama. I think they lost that game to Jackson State, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, I might be wrong on that. But I think they lost the game, or they, or they struggled. I think they dropped even from playing that game like 12 or 14 spots in the RPI. So the biggest thing for, for teams like Mississippi State and all these other clubs who played the SWAC tools, you just can't lose. If you lose, man, that is that is double trouble. And I look back at, uh, you know, speaking of teams with bad RPIs and playing them and losing to them, TCU, I think it was like three years ago, TCU had an RPI of 16 or 17. They lost the Air Force in one game of a doubleheader. They dropped down to 39, and that was in May. Whew. That is not ideal. Interesting no, stuff. Mississippi State currently at uh, at 17 in the RPI, and you got Ole Miss at 48, and Southern Miss currently sitting yeah. at uh, 99, right? Uh, 90, oh, mid 90s. Kendall, always yeah, appreciate your time. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say that comes for a little interesting situation if State's RPI stays in those 20s and 30s, but they win the SEC. That could be really interesting. Yeah. Try to stay warm this weekend. Thanks, man. You got it, buddy. We'll see you. Back with you just after 5 o'clock, a beautiful Tuesday afternoon. You just might need a jacket. A little cool. Sports Talk Mississippi, Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Rippy left us early today. He is en route to Memphis, where Ole Miss and Memphis will play a little college baseball tonight at AutoZone Park. Mississippi State first pitch tonight, 6.30 at Duty Noble for their game against Mississippi Valley State. Sports Talk is brought to you every day by Mississippi Land Bank. Online, you can find them at mslandbank.com. Mississippi Land Bank serves the northern 32 counties in Mississippi. They've got locations in Senatobia, Clarksdale, Cleveland, Indianola, Corinth, Tupelo, New Albany, Starkville, Kosciuszko, and Louisville. So they've got the entire northern part of the state covered for over 100 years. They've been financing and refinancing land for families, individuals, and groups who are wanting to purchase land in the country. Mississippi Land Bank, where they know the lay of the land. Busy Tuesday afternoon. Uh, we've uh, covered a lot of ground. We've had the news of Arkansas uh, parting ways with Mike Anderson, and so it's kind of led to some basketball conversation this afternoon. Uh, I've had Kendall Rogers on from D1 Baseball. Uh, we have also had uh, Nick Fitzgerald on, and that was a fun conversation, hey, Dad, earlier today, kind of talking about his preparations for the uh, the draft, which is now just, uh, what, a little over a month away? Yeah. Or maybe right, a little less than a month away. 
Yeah, I think we're like at 29, 28 days, something like that. So, yeah, the, the, then, of course, we like we mentioned, MSU's Pro Day is tomorrow, uh, and that will uh, be something I'll be covering, obviously. So you'll follow me on Twitter at Brian Haydad. Follow Sports Talk Mississippi on Twitter at Sports Talk Miss. I'll have plenty of video up there. And uh, go to supertalk.fm afterwards for some analysis. Then, of course, here on the show, get you, uh, get you caught up on everything that happened there. A couple of days from now, we'll roll back into basketball postseason play with the Sweet 16 games on Thursday and Friday, the Elite 8 games on Saturday and Sunday. And then on Monday, you can catch Sports Talk Mississippi from the Sportsbook at the Pearl River Resorts Timeout Lounge, the Golden Moon Casino. Grab a snack, place a wager for your favorite team. You can also visit Dancing Rabbit Golf Club while you are there. It is in spectacular condition right now. Sports Talk Mississippi live from the uh, Sportsbook at Timeout Lounge, the Golden Moon, next Monday afternoon. That will be a lot of fun. Looking forward to that. Right now, time for the College Football Fix. College Football Fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi Ford dealers. Log on to buyfordnow.com. Find all the options that Ford's got right now. Don't stop, though, with what you find online. Scoot on down to your local Mississippi Ford dealer. They'll trade for whatever you're driving right now to get you in a brand new Ford car, truck, van, or SUV. It'll be a trip that you are glad that you made. There is a trend in college football right now that I would think has got to be troubling to athletics directors and administrators all over the country. It's not necessarily surprising, but some historical data here that um, is a little troubling. Uh, Dennis Dodd uh, wrote the story for CBSSports.com. College football attendance last year hit a record low. The average of 41,856 fans per game for the 129 FBS teams in 2018 was the lowest since 1996. And that's a year after the average per school decline was the largest in 34 years. Of the top 30 schools in 2017 in terms of attendance, 20 stayed the same or declined last year, including Virginia Tech, which had the largest decline, also Southern Cal, Ohio State, South Carolina, and Florida had dips in attendance. The SEC had a a, a negative percentage decline, I'm not sure I said that well. Average attendance per game last year in the SEC was 74,185. That is down 1.2% from the previous year, and it's the lowest since 2003. Now, it's almost 10,000 more than anybody else in the country, any other conference in the country. The Big Ten's at 65,000 and change. The Big 12 averaged 56,500. The ACC averaged 48,500, and the ACC actually was up three-tenths of a percent. The American Athletic Conference was up almost one percentage point, but they only averaged 28,902 per game. Biggest drop-off came in the Pac-12, down 6.1%. It was the lowest average attendance per game in the Pac-12 since 1982. That entire For- league is in a world of hurt right now. Why is that? I've read some things, a series of investigative reports, and nobody's really happy with the commissioner there, but I think generally speaking, 
isn't there an interest issue out there? That, that, I mean, that's the biggest problem in all of this is the SEC has the highest attendance. The SEC generates the most revenue. The SEC network was the uh, most successful television network launch probably in television history. And it's making a ton of money and the stadiums are still selling out because people just care here more. And when it becomes more expensive to go to games and the motivation just isn't there to do so out west and the network is or not the network the conference apparently is is very poorly run it's a big snowball of awful yeah yeah the the thing that's interesting to me about that is i don't think people go to games or don't go to games because of the commissioner they go to games or don't go to games because of whether or not the teams are good and the teams haven't been very good in the Pac-12 southern cal's been down washington's been on an uptick oregon is trending up Though Washington they've been State down was, since Chip Kelly left, though, generally speaking. They have been, but they were better last year. Uh, Washington State was pretty good, but, I mean, what's that, a 30,000-seat stadium? Yeah, very small fan base there. You know, Arizona, Arizona State, they don't draw super well. They don't have huge stadiums. Utah draws well. not a huge. So it's not huge stadiums, and they're not filling them up. But the, the big the deal thing for the Pac-12 doesn't have to be that UCLA and USC play in 100,000-seat stadiums, and they're getting 40,000 a game, maybe? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's got to be part of it. And, and they shrink those stadiums down a little bit for college football. I mean, you can pack 100,000 into the Rose Bowl. I think it's more like a 90,000-seat stadium for UCLA games. And they're making the Coliseum a little bit smaller. But I, I am weary of the argument that, oh, there's so much else to do on the West Coast. I don't know as, if it's as, so much more to do as if they just don't care as much. You know what I mean? Not not that there's so many other things to care about. It's just they generally don't exactly care about college football like we do. But but you've heard that argument, right? That, oh, well, there, there's yeah, so much to do sense. on the West Coast with the beach and whatnot. Well, yeah, I mean, the beach is in play for like three schools in the Pac-12. Yeah, and we have beaches here. And we've got lakes, and we've got hunting season, and yeah. we've got all kinds of other cool stuff to do in the South as well. Jason makes a good point. He said the Pac-12 is in trouble because they all suck, and NFL teams oversaturate the market. That's a good point. Yeah, I've always thought the West Coast is more of a pro sports kind of place. So, so think about it. University of Washington's in Seattle. Multiple pro sports teams there. UCLA, USC, both in L.A. There are a gazillion sports teams. In the Bay Area, you've got Cal and Stanford, but you've also got pro sports teams all over the place. Arizona State's in Phoenix, Tempe. But Phoenix has got pro sports teams. So maybe that's the difference. You think that's the biggest difference, Haydad? I don't know if it's the biggest difference, but it's certainly something to, to take into account where, you know, if you are going to go to a football game and you're going to spend money on tickets and parking and concessions and everything else, are you going to go to see UCLA or are you going to go see the Rams or the Chargers? Now, maybe that's not the best example because those teams have not had great attendance, but you know the 49ers are, are big on the West Coast. They always have been. The, the Raiders and, and and like you said, those other, t- those other teams out there as well. So, And plus, you, you know, you're not taking into account the Lakers are still playing, uh, the Clippers, the Dodgers are about to get started up. I mean, there's a lot of options for sports in Los Angeles and in Southern California and across the, the West Coast. So, you know, 
even though they it, they got more money out there on the West Coast, I guess, because you know you got to have five million dollars to live in a one bedroom house. They, you know, there's only so much disposable income to go around, and then college sports must just be getting the short end of the stick out there. Think you're underselling culture a little bit. You think? I, I think so. The, the culture in the South, we're so much more connected to our colleges than they were. When I was True. in San Francisco, people would ask, "Well, you're from Mississippi. What are you doing here?" Well, we're here for the game. What game? You didn't see Cal bear anything at all in the entire Bay Area for five days. I didn't see any of it until I stepped on campus and they put 33%, the stadium was 33% full, maybe. No, Just nobody cared at all about Cal football who had a game against an SEC team on that Saturday. Nobody cared. I think it's a culture thing. Yeah. Only one NFL team in an SEC market, right? I mean, the Titans and Nashville and Vanderbilt has never really drawn anyway. Because it's a small private school with bad facilities. Say what? Say the Falcons. Yeah, but Athens stands on its own. Sports Talk Mississippi in the Renaissance Bank studio. A lot of responses from you on the ceasefire text line. 601-879-4395 as to why college football attendance is down and why it's so far down on the West Coast. This one says technology has a big deal with it. No roots to the college. My daughter's a junior uh, at Ole Miss. I think he's referring to a lot of people on the West Coast have no ties to specific universities. Um, Tim says Southern Cal being down is the main problem for the Pac-12. There was a question about, you know, the... um, the Saints and Dallas and Atlanta being kind of markets that are tied to SEC schools. They are, but you know, College Station only loosely tied to Dallas. That's a couple of hours away and a couple of hours from Houston as well. But in those three places in particular, Baton Rouge, College Station, and Athens, you're talking about three of the largest stadiums in the SEC that are generally full when their teams play. Borky may be onto something about culture. On the West Coast, you're talking largely about big cities with colleges that are part of the Pac-12 in those cities. In the Southeast, you're talking generally about smaller towns where everybody is kind of interested in the same thing. Yeah. I mean, you can go to Los Angeles and not see the UCLA and USC campuses, but you can't drive through Oxford or Starkville and not run into the campus at some point. It's just it's, it's impossible, or at least see an exit sign for it. So, yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense because there are people who live in – if you live in Starkville, you live in Oxford, if you live in Tuscaloosa or Auburn, you, you, there, the chance that you have a connection via you went to school there, you, your family had somebody who went to school there, you work there, you something, you have a connection to the university. You live in Los Angeles, I mean, there's probably a very high, high probability you have no connection to USC whatsoever. Or UCLA, for that matter. It's amazing yeah. what happens to the Jackson metro area when Ole Miss and Mississippi State have home games. Saturdays around here when Ole Miss and State are home are amazing. There's nobody here. We, we can get in any restaurant we want to. We can go to any bar and walk right up to the bar. We can do anything. The, the, the reservoir, the lake, nobody on it. It's incredible because everybody's either focused on the game or at the games themselves. It's a ghost town around here when that happens. 
let's switch gears to basketball, shall we? And take a peek. We'll not spend a ton of time here, but a peek at the uh, the Sweet 16 matchups that are coming up starting on Thursday. Because of the teams that you've got involved, the 16 teams that are remaining, including all four number ones, all four number twos, all four number threes, you got some really good matchups. Fourth-seeded Florida State, incredibly athletic against Gonzaga, who is a one-seed. That's a fun game. Doesn't it seem like that's a bad matchup for Gonzaga, a team that's super, super athletic? Wait, do I, do I think that Florida State's a bad matchup for Gonzaga? Gonzaga. I get what you're saying, but Gonzaga's good, man. They're good. They're af- they're very, they very are good. athletic. I just I don't know if they're the same kind of athletic, you know. I, I just don't know. I, I like I I won't be completely surprised if Florida State pulls the upset here. I I, I don't disagree with that. I, I mean, Florida State's long too. Yeah, not just athletic, but long. Purdue is Leonard Hamilton like the most underrated coach in the country. I mean, he's I been there forever. A- there's a really good argument to be made. And that's a team that went to the Elite Eight a year ago, sitting in the Sweet 16 this year. Yeah. And, and kind of had a point in the middle of the season where they just stumbled and kind of fell off the map for a lot of people. But they're good. Purdue and Tennessee. Tennessee's a one-and-a-half-point favorite in the game. Big Ten's been really good in the tournament. SEC's been really good in the tournament. I mean, I've got... I've got Tennessee picked to go to the Final Four, so obviously I'm sticking with them against Purdue. But that's a pretty sneaky good matchup. Yeah. Purdue's just been solid this this the past few weeks. They just they 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 look like uh, they look like a Matt Painter team. You know, you expect them just to not make a lot of mistakes, and that's what they're that's what they're doing right now. And that's good because Tennessee is a team that will punish you when you make mistakes. So if Purdue plays a pretty clean game, Tennessee's going to have to play. A really high level to win. Wouldn't you say two of the better defensive teams in the country in the matchup yeah. with two seed Michigan and three seed Texas Tech? Yes. Yeah, and two coaches that love to coach defense too. Yeah, Chris Beard at Texas Tech and John Beeline at Michigan, and then Oregon against Virginia. So sort of the same like thing, Vir- right? Sort of the same thing from the other one seed. It's an athletic team. It might give them some trouble. Yeah, I, I get what you're saying, and Oregon's healthy, and they're playing fast. But I think Virginia's going to give Oregon problems around the rim. And if you just write Virginia off as not being athletic, I think you're making a mistake. Because yeah. they got two or three guys that can just stroke it from outside. they got a couple of pretty good players in the paint, and defensively really good. And I thought that was the thing that... Um, uh, that Tony Bennett talked about after their their last win about how connected and how well they play how connected they were and how well they played defensively. Um, you know, if, for for me with Virginia, it just felt like you got to get past that first game, and the first half was so ugly in their game against Gardner Webb. Yeah, but they settled down. They end up winning by almost twenty. They play well in the second round game. This is a Virginia team that's built for the Final Four. Whether or not they actually get there or not, we'll have to wait and see. But it feels like maybe the nerves are kind of gone and Virginia can just focus on 
being good and playing to their level as opposed to, oh my goodness, what are they going to say to us if we lose to another a 16 again? Yeah. Do you buy into the idea that their pace is not built for the NCAA tournament? Um, well, I get what you're saying. I hear but that I a think, lot is why I ask. Well, to, to me, success in the NCAA tournament historically is about good guard play. And Virginia's got good guards in Ty Jerome and Marcus Hunter and uh, Kihei Clark, the freshman guard. They've just got guys that can play. And we'll, we'll see. That, that, to me, that could be that could be four single-digit games on Thursday. Florida State, Gonzaga, Purdue, Tennessee, Texas Tech, Michigan, and Oregon, Virginia. On Friday, LSU, Michigan State, LSU a three seed, Michigan State a four seed. Is that right? I think that's right. Uh, Michigan State's a six-point favorite. I picked Michigan State in this game, and and I, I think I had 13 of the 16 Sweet 16 teams picked correctly. But I picked Michigan State because of coaching. I think Tom Izzo, one of the best in the game, and Tony Benford, you know, with all due respect, is coaching what is fourth game. As an interim at LSU, yeah, yeah, that's about to do them in, isn't it? They've they've rode the wave of athleticism so far, and it's been fun to watch. And I think it's a good story because I find it hilarious just thinking about Mark Emmert having to hand the trophy of his billion dollar tournament to LSU when everybody and their brother knows that they broke NCAA rules to get to that point. But this is the game where it catches up to them, right? You would think because. The guy on the other sideline knows a thing or two about how to win in March more than I would think Tony Bedford does. Yeah, and and look, to me, LSU's fun to watch because they're so athletic. I, I just, I, I'm not sure that they get it done. To me, the the most, the, the game that's the most fun out of the eight Sweet 16 matchups is Auburn against North Carolina. It will be an absolute track meet. And if Auburn's hitting shots the way they were against Kansas, they can win that game. Now, I've got North Carolina picked to win it. I think this is where the end comes for Auburn. I don't know if Auburn can continue to shoot the three as well as they've been shooting it because if you look at them over the course of the season, they'll go two or three games where they shoot it really, really well from deep, and then they'll have a clunker where they go you know, four for 31. Or six for twenty nine, or you know whatever the percentage is. But right now they sure are living by the three. Virginia Tech, Duke, Justin Robinson being healthy. Virginia Tech's a big deal, and Houston, Kentucky. I think that'll be a good game. Yeah, uh, the, the, the games are good this week, and you said it. You know the Cinderella is great the first weekend, but. Second weekend, it's about the power programs playing power basketball. We've got that this weekend.
Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.